You know, one of the, the basic truths of our faith as followers of Jesus Christ is that we should trust in God. In fact, last Sunday I preached a message on that by video that was from Proverbs that talks about just that, trusting in God. But you know, one of the questions that might come to our minds is, well, what can we trust God to do? I mean, specifically, what can we really believe that God is going to be at work doing in our lives? And I think there's some misinformation about that in some Christian circles. Like some people believe if I trust God, he's going he's to solve my problems for me, right? He's going to make the problems go away, or he's going to make my life easy. He's going to give me the stuff that I want. If I believe hard enough, if I am sincere enough, maybe if I do the right things, then God will owe me that. But the problem with that is, that's not what Scripture says. So what does Scripture actually tell us that we can depend on God to do. That's what I want us to think about for the rest of this month in a series that I'm calling Lean on Me. We'll be thinking about what we can count on God to do. So we're going to get some biblical answers to that question, maybe to combat some of the, the things that we think might be true, but really may not show up in Scripture. So what we know is that there are some difficult things that are going to happen in our lives. God doesn't take all that away. We know that from looking at stories in Scripture, but we also know that from looking in our own lives. I mean, we know people who are faithful, who love God, who are sincere in their faith, and still bad things happen. Now, one of the truths of life that, that I see at work is when we're going through a bad time, well, that's tough enough. But it's only made worse if we have to go through it alone, right? I mean, it's even harder if I feel like it's all up to me. I don't have anybody helping. I don't have anybody to walk with me. I don't have anyone I can depend on. And that can happen for a host of different reasons. It might be that someone's just gone. They passed away. So the, the person or the people you depend on are just no longer with you, a spouse or parents or maybe a child, a really close friend. And so that person that you want to depend on is just not there. That can happen because of a fractured relationship or even a divorce. People that are really important to you aren't there, so you're having to travel this road by yourself. And as difficult as it is, it's made worse by the fact that you don't have anyone to help out. Or, or maybe what you're dealing with is so personal so maybe even shameful that you don't want to talk to anybody about it. You don't want anybody walking alongside you because you don't want them to know. And so you keep it all to yourself and it, it just can feel overpowering because you're alone. So in, in those moments when we're facing life's difficulties by ourselves, what can we count on God to do? If it's not just to make all the problems go away, what will he do in those moments? Well, I want us to think about that by looking at really one of the best-known passages of Scripture that we have. It's found at the end of Matthew. It's in Matthew 28, the last words that we read in the Gospel of Matthew. So we're going to turn there in just a minute. But to set that up, when we come to this passage, what we know is that Jesus has already been through the harrowing experience of the cross. He's been buried, and he's been raised from the dead. And Jesus has appeared to some of his disciples, and he's told them to meet him in Galilee. Now, we know that the, the, the action of the story takes place in Jerusalem, which is in the south, in Judea, okay? That's where Jesus dies, where he's buried, where he's raised. But Jesus and most of his disciples grew up 
in Galilee in the north, sort of the back country. And so Jesus is basically saying to them, meet me back at home. Okay? So that's what they do, and that's where we pick up in Matthew 28, and it says that Jesus meets the 11. Now normally it's 12, right? But Judas has betrayed Jesus, and he's ended up killing himself. So there's 11 left, and that's who this whole story is about, those 11 people and Jesus. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So when they see Jesus, they worship him. Now, it seems like everybody who sees Jesus risen from the dead, they either have trouble recognizing him at first or they want to bow down and worship him. And that's what his disciples do. All 11 worship him. But one of the things that I never noticed about this passage was that last part of the verse I just read. Some doubted. I'll say, what is that about, right? These are the 11. I mean, we're not talking about some group that doesn't know Jesus very well. We're talking about the people who have been with him for three years. Three years of Jesus teaching and preaching. Three years of miracles being performed. They have seen Jesus raised from the dead and some doubt. We've got to remember that the man who's writing this, Matthew, that's what tradition tells us, is one of those 11. His name was Levi. He was a tax collector. Jesus called him. He left everything to follow Jesus. We know him as Matthew. And he wrote this down. And it just makes me wonder, did, did Matthew write that down because he wanted that recorded for us? Not to forget that maybe even he was struggling in this moment to understand what does it mean for Jesus to be raised from the dead? Am I really seeing this? And, and what does it mean for our future? What what happens next if Jesus is really raised from the dead? But some of them are doubting. But then we see this. Jesus tells them three things. Jesus talking finishes this gospel out. We have a truth, we have a mission, and we have a promise. And I want to steer all three of those because they're closely related this morning. And it picks up in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, so they're like a distance when they worship. Jesus comes closer. Here's the truth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All, what does Jesus mean? All authority. Well, it's not just over his people, the Jews. It's not just over our spiritual lives, right? It's not just like there's this life out here that's real life, and then there's this spiritual part, and Jesus is Lord over that. No. It's not that Jesus has authority just over sin or over death, as big as that would be, but it's all authority. Where did he get that? Well, there's only one place that could give him all authority, and that's heaven. So God is investing in Jesus all authority. He is Lord of all. When we studied Colossians back last fall, we talked about a cosmic Christ that Paul describes as holding all of creation together. That's the same picture we have here. All authority has been given to Jesus over sin, over evil, over death, over life, over all nations, over all creation. Jesus is in charge. So he can call them to do something because of his authority. Remember, all these are related. The, the truth, the call, the promise. Here's the call. Therefore, go. 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And we're going to stop in the middle of verse 20 and pick up the rest in a minute. But Jesus says, okay, because I am Lord, because all authority has been given to me, I have authority to tell you to go, and I have authority to give you this message. Here's the message. Go tell them about me. Okay, I want you to make disciples. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, we're in Galilee. It's our hometown. Uh, you know, just go out and talk to your family about me. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, go down to Judea. Jerusalem, gather a crowd, tell the Jews they'll expect all this because the prophecy they have about me. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now we read that, and it's easy to sort of let it go, but this was a big deal. Here, early in the Christian movement, Jesus is calling his followers not just to talk to the people who are of the same nationality, the same language, the same religion as they were. He says, go to all nations. Even the people who believe in the Roman pantheon, right? Even the people who believe that Caesar is a god. Go and tell them about me, about Jesus. Jews and Gentiles stayed away from one another. But here at the beginning, Jesus is calling his followers to go even to the Gentiles to tell them who he is, that he is Lord of all. And he says, baptize them when they come to make a decision. When they get to that point that they want to follow me, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them. Because it's not just getting them to the point of making a decision, it's making disciples out of them. And the only way they can be followers, which is what disciple means, the only way they can be followers of Jesus is if they know what he taught. So teach them. What you've heard me talk about for three years, teach them now. And then they'll know how to live. They'll know what it means to be a disciple. So the truth, all authority has been given to me. The call, the mission, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them. And here's the promise. The last words that we read in the Gospel of Matthew. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As long as there is time, I'll be with you. Till this is all over, I'll be with you. As we think about that, If you read the first chapter of the book of Acts, what you find is after Jesus said these words, he ascended into heaven. Now, how can Jesus in one moment say, I'll be with you forever, and then he's gone? How does that make sense? And the only way that makes sense is if Jesus is saying something other than I'm going to be with you physically. Now, when we think about it, Jesus has just said, go, spread out, share the message. There's no way he could be with all of them physically, right? If some are in Spain and some are in Ethiopia. He can only be with them as if he is with them spiritually. And if we read the second half of the Gospel of John, what we find is that over and over, Jesus promises that his disciples, his followers, not just the apostles, but all of us will receive the Spirit of God, the actual Spirit of God at work in us. And so when Jesus says, I'll be with you, what he's saying is, 
My spirit will be with you. I'm going to live in you. When you go and make disciples, I'm going to be in you, helping you do that. I'll be with you always to the very end. What this passage to me is, is teaching is this. When you can count on nothing else, you can count on the presence of Jesus. When you can count on nothing else, you can count on the presence of Jesus. So, when we're going through difficulty and it feels like we're really alone, the truth is we're not. Because Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us spiritually all the way through. Whatever is going on in our lives, we are not alone in that. Now, the disciples to me are great examples of this. These 11 men who were with Jesus on this very day and heard him speak these words who had just struggled with doubt, these are the guys who, who spread out. Now, some of it's recorded in Scripture. Others we have from tradition. But what we see is these men spreading out across the Roman Empire and even a little beyond that. And what we also know is that most of them end up dying because of their faith. Because they have chosen to go share the message of Jesus, they face opposition, and some of them are killed because of that. So it's not that Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to be with you and it's all going to work out fine and everybody's going to live happily ever after. That's not the promise. The promise is not ease. The promise is presence. Jesus says, I'll be with you. And so the disciples could go wherever they were sent knowing that they were never alone. Even if they physically went by themselves, the Spirit of God was always at work in them. Now the truth is, when we're going through difficulty in life, it would sort of be nice if there was a real person there with us, right? Someone we trusted, someone who cared about us. Sometimes it's not the Spirit of God that we want so much as a person right there. But we have to remember we're talking about the risen Christ who has all authority is the one who is standing with us regardless of what we're facing. But remember, the three are linked. The truth, the call, the promise. Jesus was with the disciples so that they could go out and share the message. And for us today, when we can count on nothing else, we're counting on the presence of Jesus. And there's a call on our lives. It's not just, I'll be with you, go do whatever you want to do. It's, you've got this call because I'm in authority. And what you're called to do is to go and make disciples. And I'm going to be with you all the way through that. So we can't take one part of this and leave the rest. We've got to say, you know what? Because Jesus has authority and because he's called me to live this life, he's with me today. You know, one of the great things we have in the Gospel of Matthew is this great sense of a bookend, a truth on either end that are closely related. Here at the very end of the Gospel, we have Jesus saying, I'll be with you always. If you turn back to chapter 1, in the middle of the, the birth narrative, okay, all that happened around Jesus' birth, we read this in verses 22 and 23. All of this, all that happened around Jesus' birth took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. From the very beginning of this story, what we have is the fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus is God with us. Now, that was the name of our our Christmas series, right? With us. We celebrated the fact that because of Christmas, Jesus took on human flesh. He was with us physically and showed us what human life should be like and who God is and all those things that we discussed last month. But that's not the end of the promise. Jesus was with us physically. But Matthew is reminding us through Jesus' words at the end of the gospel that this sense of Emmanuel, the sense of God with us, was not over in the first century. It continued on after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. God is still with us through His Spirit. And so today, when we can't count on anything else, We can count on the presence of Jesus through the Spirit of God with us in everything we do. And you know, this promise is not just found in the New Testament. This goes back all the way throughout Scripture. A year ago, we were focused in on a psalm as I taught several things on this, and it reminded me of it this week. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its surging. An ever-present help in trouble. So today as we think about going through the difficulty of life and what we can depend on God to do, I think part of our prayer should be, God, show us your presence. Show us that you are present with us today because sometimes we don't sense it. Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we're too interested in other things. But God, you've promised to be present. Help us know it is real. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for your promise to be present in our lives. And God, we take seriously the fact that you have been given all authority And God, we we take the mission that you have placed on our lives to make disciples seriously. We know that affects every part of what it means to be the church. And God, we pray for your presence among us. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.